Morning again, everyone. Morning. I have to forgive the possible distraction. I'm bringing some hot tea up here, just in case. Uh, mostly so I don't repeat last week's performance of having what I'm quite sure is the shortest sermon I've ever preached, um, as my voice gave out. Um, though actually, I guess some of you might prefer I didn't have the tea, so I did repeat the performance of the shortest sermon um, <laughs> that I've ever preached. Um, Hopefully I can at least keep from coughing, um, though admittedly with this lingering cough that I've had, um, I haven't really had a real night's sleep in the last four nights, so this one still may be kind of interesting, so we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, when we think about, you know, last week we talked about the, the new start that we have in Christ, the, the new start that really only He is able to give us, but it is just a start. Once we have a new start We've got to go somewhere from there. And really, in a lot of ways, a lot less important than where you are is the direction that you're going. The direction that we're headed is so immensely important. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people have looked at the church's call to repentance as someone's, you know, just as just the church standing over someone with a, you know, a big list of, of thou shalt nots and saying, stop it. Just all the, here's all these things you're not supposed to do. So just stop doing those things. And to a lot of people, that's their image of what the church is and what the church is about. And a lot of people have majored on in, in Colossians 3, the, um, Message just after where we just read, starting in, in verse 5, saying, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, and do not lie to each other. I'm going to stop there. We can very easily look at these lists like this that we see in Scripture, and this isn't the only one, of the things that we are to turn away from, these things that are not supposed to be a part of our lives. And it's important to recognize those things, but it's also important to not forget the context of how these things are being said. That context of, of verses 1 through 4, you know, it's like probably the, you know, the, the oldest line in, in Bible study. You know, whenever you see a therefore, you should look and see what it's there for. You know, in verse 5 says, you know, put to death therefore whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Well, well because of what? Therefore. What comes before that therefore? And it's what we read just a moment ago. Moment ago. Since you have been raised with Christ... Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. You've died. Your life is now hidden with God. Because of where you're going, because of the direction, the, the new start that you've been given and the new direction that your life has taken, put to death all those other things. We're not putting to death those things in isolation. We're putting them to death in the context of where we're now going. Because see, what you turn away from is really only a small part of true repentance. Far more valuable than what we're turning from is really what we're turning toward. But when we stay focused on what we can't do, when we stay focused on those things and just have that mental list that I think we all have on some level of these are the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, if all of our focus and all of our attention is there, you know, the, the cruel irony in that is that we're still focused on sin. 
Maybe we're focused on avoiding sin, but still our focus is still all on those things we know are contrary to the will of God. And I don't think that God would have us spend our time and have our hearts focused solely on that. Instead, as verse 1 here says, let's set our hearts on things above. And it goes on, set our minds on things above. Picking up where I stopped there at the last half of of verse 9. He says to, to do all of these things, to set aside all these things, to put to death all these things for reason. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We put to death all of these things, not just because they're that list of things we're not supposed to do, but we do so because we've taken off our old self and we've put on something new. We have been fundamentally changed. But see, the thing about change is that it's scary. Whenever I think of a scared expression, I always think of Beaker from the Muppets. Sorry, it's it's the sleep deprivation, I'm guessing. Anyway, but change is scary. When we think about, you know, we, we like that new start, that, that new beginning, that, that freshness that we talked about next week. But then to actually continue on with that and have our lives fundamentally changed, there's something, I've got to admit, a little bit terrifying about that. I'm often reminded of the story in Luke chapter 8. It's also recorded elsewhere, but in, in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus... And his disciples have, have gone across the Sea of Galilee to the, the region of the, of the Gerasenes. And they find this demon-possessed man. This man who clearly has been this way for a long, long time. Because of, of these struggles he is going through, because of these demons that possess him, he hasn't, you know, the, the, the people of that area, they've even tried binding him with change because he's caused such trouble, such violence, but even that couldn't hold him causing no end of trouble to these people, I'm sure. And so as Jesus has this encounter with him, which we've talked about many times before, but has this encounter with him, he ends up casting out these demons. And as powerful as that is, as powerful as that miracle is, that's not the part of the story that usually sticks with me. What really sticks with me is what comes next. After the people of that region have seen and heard about what Jesus has done in casting out the demons from this man, this man who surely has caused no end of trouble for this town, for this region, after these demons are cast out, what do they say to Jesus? Do they say, thank you for healing this man. Thank you for bringing about this great change. This is going to have such a great, I mean, this is going to be so beneficial to, to all of us to not have to deal with, the, with this, this struggle that's been so constant for so long. No, that's not what they say. Starting in verse 36 of Luke 8. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. Now the man who had been healed, he wanted to go with him. But Jesus said, no, you've got a mission now. You need to go tell the people what the Lord has done for you. But it's just, it's almost mind-blowing to think that these people of this region who have seen this amazing thing be done, this amazing change for the better, 
But it's such a dramatic change. It's so unexpected and powerful that they're afraid of even such a good thing that's happened. And they say, okay, Jesus, you're a little unpredictable here. You're doing things that we thought were not even possible. We don't know what you might do next. What might this man change next if he can even change this? So Jesus, um, we're afraid, so you can go now. I wonder how many times we say the same thing to him. Change is scary, so sometimes we settle for less than real change. We seek out forgiveness in these theological, churchy kind of terms, this idea of justification, being declared righteous before God. We want that. We want to have our sins be forgiven. We want to be able to stand before the throne of God, and despite what we know we have done, the the impurity, the weakness, the uncleanliness of our own lives, we want to hear God say, no, when I see you, I see my child. I see the life of my son that is covering you. And so come be with me. We want to hear that. We want that justification, but that other kind of theological term of sanctification, that making us holy day by day, little by little, that part eh, we're a little less comfortable with. But you see, that's what Jesus came to give us. He didn't come to just give us that get out of jail free card. He came to give us something bigger. He came to fundamentally change our life to be like his life. Not just so that at the end of this life things would be different, but so that Today would be different too. And the next day, more different still. And each day, proceeding that we would become more and more like him, that we would be fundamentally changed. Being declared righteous because Jesus paid our penalty that should have been ours, honestly, that's kind of easy. That's, that seems like all upside from where we stand. But actually living a holy life, Because Jesus lived that prototype new life and sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to live that life too. Well, that can be terrifying. There was a a girl, a a teenager that we worked with when we were up in Maine. Came from a very, very rough background. Very difficult family situation from both an interpersonal level, a spiritual level, an economic level. I mean, you you could go down the list of, of how many strikes she had against her. But through her younger brothers and, and some connection they had with our church and as we crossed paths, we, we got to know her and she came to know us. And she came to know this family that would accept her, which she really seemed like a pretty strange thing to her. And she eventually came to understand some of the things that we believed. And she eventually then gave her life to Christ. She accepted him in baptism. And it was wonderful to see the changes that were taking place in her life. But then somewhere along the way, as she was getting toward the end of her high school years, this new family that she had said, hey, we need to do something for her. We need to help her rise above this situation that she's in. And so calls were made, conversations were had, people were doing things behind the scenes to help give her the opportunity to do what she probably never would have dreamed she would do, to go to college. And not just go to college, but trying to find through some different connections that people had, trying to get her hooked up with maybe even being able to go to a Christian college. Well, she, as she was so young in her faith, we knew that she needed that support system, and that's a place where she could grow and flourish and become who we felt God was, was, was pulling at her and trying to call her to be something more and get out of the situation she was in. 
But as all these things were going on, and she was seeing a radically different life than the one that she ever thought she would be able to live, she got scared. She started to slowly pull away. It was just too much. Now, now having that new family there in her hometown, having that gift of salvation, those were big, powerful, life-changing things for her. But then to say, like, no, the whole direction, the whole trajectory of your life can change because this family of God is going to support you, I think it was just too much for her. She started to pull away, and eventually there in her senior year, it was just heartbreaking and she drops out of school. She starts going a totally different direction. We keep working with her, trying to help her get her, her GED, trying to, trying to get a, another start again, and, and still trying to get her to college. But little by little by little, she just pulls further and further away because this just radical, life-altering path that suddenly was laid before her was so different than anything she would have imagined for herself. That was just the end of it for her. Now her story's not over and we still try and keep in touch when we can. But I've seen it over and over and over again. People say, they come to Jesus saying, I see that you offer me new life. I see that you offer me forgiveness. I see you offer me a cure for the sin that ails me. And they gratefully accept that forgiveness. But then Jesus keeps saying, okay, I have more for you. So many say, but no, I'm, I'm good with what I got. I, I got what I came for, Lord. I'm, I'm just, you know, let's, let's not go overboard now. Let's not change too much. And fear starts to drive us away. But even if we do manage to get past the fear, <coughs> I apologize. Even if we manage to get past the fear of change, There's that other part that change a lot of times just looks like hard work. Change, we never see it as something easy. Any real change, any lasting change. We have such amazing inertia in our lives. We know that we've been going down a certain path, we've been going a certain direction for so long when we realize that, okay, I should change, and then we realize, well, maybe I could change, maybe I even want to change. I've gotten over this fear, but then we say, like, wow, but how in the world am I going to change this direction that I've been on for so long? And we try and we pull ourselves out of this pathway that we've been going down, and we realize there's a lot of inertia pulling us further and further down this path. It's kind of like trying to steer a hovercraft or a, or a big ship. Um, for any of you who, I know there's at least a handful of you who've you know, seen the, you know, the British show Top Gear, one of my favorite things that I see them do is a few, in a few different episodes, you know, they're, they're car guys. And so there have been a few times when for some reason, some challenge they've been given, they end up doing something with either a hovercraft or a boat and it's hilarious watching them try to control these things because they're used to the quick response and the precision steering of like a high-end sports car. They're used to being able to go around these hairpin turns with amazing control. And then you see them give that same full-throttle approach to a boat. <laughs> Guess what? They hit stuff <laughs> a lot. You know, you try and see them, you know, do the same thing with a hovercraft where they're on this cushion of air and they're moving along and they try and turn and they're turning, but they're still moving in the same direction. And then they eventually panic and stop and then the 
pocket of air collapses and they flip out the side. It's really hilarious, but when you see people trying to move something that isn't meant to be steered like that, that's much slower going than that, I can't help but think, wow, that's, that's life, isn't it? We think we can make these hairpin turns. We think we have such control of ourselves. But really, in a lot of ways, we're at war with our own inertia. Now I think, okay, really the only thing that I have control over in this life is myself and my own decisions, the choices that I make. But then when I'm really painfully honest with myself, sometimes I don't have quite as much control over that as I like to think that I have. The patterns and the habits that I've let build up in myself over a lifetime, well, they've taken little by little, they've chipped away at that control. And I realize that maybe I'm not quite as in control of myself as I thought I was. And so when we look at this idea of repentance, true repentance, we can't look at it as saying, okay, we'll just stop. I'm going to take all these things that have been a part of my life that are contrary to the will of God, and then I'm just going to flip a switch, and I'm, I'm just going to stop. It's just going to be a pure act of will. Because repentance, again, real repentance, isn't just about what we get rid of. I found this image, this statement, as I was preparing this. Repentance is a process of addition and not subtraction. See, all the experts on habits especially, and you hear a lot about it, you know, this time of year as we're in a new year, people thinking about the new habits they want to form, and even more still about the old habits that they want to break. All the experts that you hear every year at this time are always quick to remind us, okay, breaking a bad habit really isn't just about stopping the bad. And if you're focused on that, you're probably going to fail. You might have limited success for a little while, but eventually those old habits, being habits, are going to come back. They're going to be so ingrained that you're going to fall back into those same patterns. The only real lasting way to get rid of a bad habit is to replace it with a good one. It's much less about subtracting the bad than it is about starting the good. I mean, sort of the, the canonical example of this is that when people say, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, change my diet. I'm going to change the way I eat. It's like, I'm going I'm to stop eating all this junk food that I've been eating. Well, good luck doing that if you don't start eating some healthy food instead. Like, okay, all I eat is junk food, so I'm going to stop eating junk food and starve. I'm not going to eat anything else. I'm just going to stop doing that thing I was doing. I'm just going to stop eating that stuff that's bad for me. I'm not going to pursue anything to replace it. How long do you think that new habit's going to last? maybe a few hours (laughs) until you get hungry again. Something's got to give. Something has to replace what you've taken away. Something has to give a new direction, not just taking away an old direction. And we, thinking that we have control, can spin our wheels trying to just turn away from sin. Turn away, turn away, turn away. And we find ourselves, we keep turning back. We find ourselves doing that if we forget that we've been given a new direction. Not just something to turn away from, but we've been given something to turn towards. We don't have to find our own way. We don't have to, to search out in the darkness trying to find something better than what we've found for ourselves so far. Once again, going back to Colossians 3, picking up in, in verse 12. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We haven't been just given something to turn away from. Right after that list of these things that we put to death, Paul says, now let's remember what life looks like. This new life that you have in Christ. Let's put to death those other things. Let's set those aside. Let's put those away and let's focus on what you have been given. The life that you have been given so that everything that you do, everything, no matter what you set your mind to, no matter what you set your heart towards, it's all being done in the name of Jesus Christ. I think there's a reason that Jesus' primary call in his ministry on this earth was follow me. In Acts, in uh, Acts 9, when we first see uh, Paul, who's going by his more Jewish name, Saul at the time, was going, getting these letters that would authorize him to round up these Christians these people who were, especially those who were, were Jews that were teaching this other message about this Jesus. Notice it didn't say, when you actually look at it, you know, take a look through Acts sometime, and you'll see Paul over and over again saying that it wasn't a letter saying that he could round up the Christians. It was those who believed in the way. I love that that was really one of the very first signifiers, the very first terms the people who followed Jesus were referred to by. It was referred to as the way, as much as it was referred to as you know, the church or any other modern translation that we would deal with of this called out group of people. I would love to reclaim that name. People of the way, believers in the way. Maybe if we didn't reclaim the name, at least reclaim the idea that it's a way that we're traveling. It's a path that we're on. Because see, I don't want to be able to just check a box that says Christian. I don't want to just have that be my, my status, my, you know, my label that I can wear. Because see, following Jesus is not just a fixed state of being. It's a path that we walk. It's a direction that we go. It's a road that we travel. And honestly, it's a good road to be on. Because it's the way of Jesus. It's a good road to be on because it's the same path that he walked. And he said, come walk it with me. Now, if you're here today and you've been trying to find your own way for far too long and you're frustrated and you're tired, Jesus says to you, just come and follow me. Stop trying to find your own path in this life. Stop trying to find what's right on your own. Stop trying to find what's good for you, what's fulfilling to you by yourself. Jesus says, I know what you need, so come with me. Now, as we follow him, our paths might look a little different from the outside. We each have our own gifts, our own strengths and weaknesses. 
our own trials that we'll have to overcome, our own gifts that we'll be able to bless others with. From the outside, our paths might all look different, but we know when we've come together in Him that ultimately all of our paths are the same. They're simply walking the path of Jesus the way it plays out in our own lives. If you'd like to follow Him today, if you'd like to get on that path, or maybe if you've been on that path for a while and you've fallen off for a while, you've tried to go your own way, and you know that you need to follow the way of Jesus, you know that you need that direction and His direction only. If there's anything we can do to help you find that path again, please come and let us know while we stand, while we sing.